Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of Virtually Relevant. I'm Eric. I'm Josh. This is Kevin. I'm going to dive into some VR news off the top here. Uh, we've talked a fair bit about the Quest 2 Elite Head Strap, which is a very comfortable and very breakable piece of equipment. Uh, they took <laughs> it off the market for a while. Hmm? Sorry. I said, I said however. Yes. <laughs> Uh, they took it off the market for a while. They brought it back on their market. They've been sending out replacements. And if you had to guess, what do you think the replacements are doing? Apparently, to a couple uh, Reddit posts that I've seen recently, <laughs> uh, the replacement head straps have now been breaking as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think the core issues have been completely addressed. Um you know, I've, I have known a number of people with elite head straps, both deluxe and non-deluxe. Um, most of them have broken in all the same way along one of the arms. Although uh, I know a couple that have broken at the uh, the little cup uh, piece at the the back of the head. Um, it's really unfortunate because it is a a really comfortable strap, and it's significantly better than the elastic strap that comes with it. But I purposely keep my non-broken elite head strap in the other room so that <laughs> she can't hear this blasphemy. <laughs> well, I think what you do is you keep that in the box in mint condition and it'll yes, be a collector's item right. someday. Unbroken elite head strap. My God. Was it ever even used? So, uh, Other VR news. Uh, Sundance. You know, this is one of the upsides of the pandemic, which is not a phrase we get to use very often but Sundance was trying to figure out how to do their their VR and interactive uh, exhibits in a way that people could experience without physically being there and so for a $25 ticket uh, you can try those all out in a, a sort of virtual lobby um, kind of at your own leisure over the, the course of the festival that uh, the access will go live at 8 p.m. on January the 28th, which will probably have already happened by the time you hear this podcast. It is unclear to me how long you have access. I don't know if it's just for the duration of the the film festival or if they'll keep that live for a while longer. But I have picked up a ticket and will definitely report back on my experience. Are you uh, do you know that if it gives you access to all the experiences or is it like a, a handful of them you have to choose them because i know at sundance sundance when you went physically you you there was not a way to go to every booth and see right. every experience within the allotted time so i'd be really interested it was a little the... unclear in the in the phrasing um they really only had about two sentences of description in it and then i read an article the article kind of implied that you could have access to everything that was in the interactive lounge, but that, that wasn't as clear to me on the Sundance website. So I guess we'll have right. to find out. Well, I'll, I'll get a ticket too, and we'll see okay. how fast we can go speed run it. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Um, oh, I, I that's know, absolutely that's, something I'm looking forward to. That's, yeah, and that's that's a model that it's, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the, the messenger's a little biased, but the, the folks at Sundance say that that model worked far far better than they expected it to and they're actually really excited about using it in upcoming years even post pandemic so and i i wholeheartedly agree um i i can't wait to see this kind of uh, interactive environment add-on being adopted across the board because 
it it makes persistent access something that you know we didn't have didn't really have access to all the content before when you went to a conference or or something it's whatever happened there sometimes you were lucky they'd have like slideshows and decks up for (laughs) you know access afterward but you didn't really get to go home and relive some of the experiences and and a lot of them are just mind-blowingly amazing right so i i can't wait for this I mean, the, the one thing I will say is I, I, my understanding is this is all being done through WebVR, which is obviously uh, going to limit the amount of computing horsepower you can throw at it on the client side. But um, I'm going to keep an open mind, and I am hopeful that there will be uh, cool things coming out of it. So we'll yeah, see. I'm pretty sure South by Southwest will have some VR, some VR stuff too coming up soon. That would be fantastic. I would love to see that more widely available. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, the just having things in VR where, especially if there's an event space where you could actually network with people yeah. while experiencing the event. Is and that, so that does in- sound like what they're doing with Sundance is, I mean, they've got this sort of virtual lobby and avatars and so forth. And I don't know to what extent you'll be able to kind of share experiences with people, but I think there's at least a place for you to chat about the experiences you've just had. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the ability to connect with people is so valuable. I mean, I spent all of CES this year kind of slogging through different talks and things that may or may not have been um, pertinent to what I'm interested in. But the moment I got into the Dreamland XR event and walked around and talked to people, I instantly uh, gained value from the conference. And so anything that combines that ability um, really harnesses the capabilities of immersive technologies. And that's really what we're about, right? So Absolutely. Now, and I'm hoping the fact that, I mean, you know, $25 is a price point where it's it's pretty accessible to most anybody who wants to, but that's enough money that it's it's going to keep kind of just complete randoms from dropping in. So I imagine it'll actually be a, a pretty uh, uh, reasonable sort of crowd not lots of screaming kids running around making yeah. fart noises like in vr chats so. so you know the the dreamland xr experience it's funny you bring up the the randoms um yeah. <laughs> the, the paid part of dreamland was only for the 2d stuff okay. turns out the the vr stuff was all in alt space and there's no like paywall like right. it just anybody who sees dreamland xr could just jump in that led to some very interesting conversations i would imagine <laughs> goodness but really for the whole event and i was there i think the for the majority of the 12 hours um they they only had a couple instances where they had to ban people and they had plenty of staff and, and things like that so i hope people learn from the successes that came out of that that event and try to replicate it All right, uh, a good news, bad news sort of situation. Tilt brush, which is absolutely one of the things that I love to throw first timers in because painting in three dimensions around yourself is just absolutely magic. Uh, it has been Google's kind of, you know, uh, featured VR product for a while. And they are stepping away from it, which is the bad news, but releasing it as open source, which is the potentially very good news. Um, yeah, I, I dove into this a little bit. Um, yeah. So it turns out 
parts of it are pared down and stripped away because of licensing issues. Ah. So you have to go through kind of a in-depth process to recompile it with everything activated that you have to get yourself. Okay. Think kind of like when you're doing, um, I forget the audacity or, or some other programs that you have to like download the audio codex and things right. separately for licensing gotcha. issues. Right. Gotcha. Right. Um, but it, it, you will be able to compile your own, very own version of uh, Tilt Brush, which I I personally am, am sad that Google is stepping away from having direct influence and in pushing the XR industry with something that I agree with you, Eric. It's a fantastic um, introduction. It's a fantastic uh, self-expression platform. There's so many great things that have come out of Tilt Brush and it's variations um but i am very i am very keen to see someone really run with the open source capabilities and like add a bunch of new brushes and and different uh functionalities and maybe more accessibility options for uh people less capable or on less capable headsets you know making it bringing it to maybe discontinued equipment bringing some breathing some life back into um maybe less nurtured parts of the industry I mean, it's, yeah it's it's definitely exciting to see what people will do with it and it doesn't look like the i mean it it looks like it's basically you know a unity application with with a little bit of uh python uh, kind of adjunct to that so i mean it, it should be something that the community can tackle and do cool things with and i hope they do i hope they pick it up and run with it in ways that uh, Google did not. It, it'll it'll become the new Doom. But, yes. Yeah, but can, yes. Can, can it run on XR, <laughs> you know, <laughs> such and such VR headset? Right. But, I, but, I saw but someone running, someone was running Doom on a pregnancy test. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Truly impressive. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to reach that levels of uh, immersion. <laughs> right uh maybe related maybe not but uh gravity sketch is now free for individual users so if you're looking to do some more detailed modeling uh which which gravity sketch is kind of a, a better platform for look uh, it's free get it just yes. go get it just seriously go get it tinker with it even if you have never touched a 3d model or any kind of modeling software in your life Go tinker because it's so much fun. It's pure it creation, and the things you can do with it are astounding. Yes, absolutely. You know, so I'm I'm kind of wondering if we might see a little bit of a surge in how how years ago, like Unity and Unreal, started to go, you know, free, you know, for for the mm-hmm. most part and then right. they they came, they came up with their own uh revenue models uh as well as now a lot of other stuff like that started to become more subscription based you know at at lower lower costs you know for for monthly costs and everything i'm i'm kind of wondering if we might actually start seeing the same kind of thing kind of implement itself into the vr software uh, side that that's more for you know business and creation tools and and stuff like that that, that might be well, kind of interesting to see the 
the model makes perfect sense, right? Like you, if you're a software company and you're spending all this time in software support and supporting individuals and they're, they're all over the place issues, right? Um, the individual user is going to have the most mundane but most taxing on your time kind of bogging down your, your <laughs> uh, resources in your company. So if you give it to the individuals but maintain a pay structure uh, for your bigger clients who are going to need hands-on help anyways where you build in that service package and you make ongoing revenue for your, your software development – that that makes great sense, and I'm I'm happy to see Gravity Sketch adapt adapt that as well. Yeah, Absolutely. and they've they've said that that's basically for, what what they did is they they kind of came up with this business revenue model on the back end, and because that was actually so well funded, they actually were able to uh, release a like a gravity sketch light, if you will, version right. to for, for free to individual users. It's kind of like SketchUp, SketchUp.com slash free, mm -hmm. right? Like you can go use SketchUp for free or you, if you're a student, I think it's like $40 a year or something ridiculously right. cheap. But if you're a business user, it's something like seven to $900 a year, right? So that, that average everyday business user floats the company and then the rest of the revenue is just, you know, it, it's nice if it comes, but if it doesn't, then it's still brand awareness. Right. Absolutely. And, and of, of course, as, as with, with all this, you know, it getting out into the public's hands that much more right. easily, you know, increases their chance of getting that business revenue later on. Is you hear that, folks? Kevin says to get Gravity <laughs> Sketch as well. You know, because, of, of course, that, that's what I remember with, you know, if you just think about the old, um, well, not, not really old, but how, like, AutoCAD and how mm -hmm. Unreal Engine used to be, you know, you're looking at, like, yeah. 2000 to $5,000 li licenses for a year. Right. You know, the average person isn't going to do that they're they're not going to go drop a couple thousand dollars to mess with something that they kind of want to try out but if you give it to them for free and then they can learn it and get a good grasp on it and actually start making money with it and then 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 that ends up going back to the business anyway so absolutely right uh, what's the, it's pretty generous in most cases like unity i think is it's free until you make your first hundred thousand dollars or something i think that's it yeah no they they tend uh, to, to make I, fairly uh liberal policies on um, what they consider to be commercialized use they, they don't want to scare people off if they uh figure they might just make a few thousand bucks and eh, you know don't really want to deal with the paperwork yeah. so i i i want to say it actually starts at maybe like ten or fifteen thousand, but even then, after that, it's like a very, very small percentage. Right. You know, it's it's only up. I I think the highest they even get is, I think like fifteen percent, I yeah. think or something, and that's at I think a million dollars, or or something mm. around there. But anyway, well, it's worked well because it's made Unity ubiquitous and. Right. 
So you have a, a wide pool of Unity developers, and you know it's, it's kind of become a de facto standard platform for a lot of things, especially for VR. Well, it's it's also proven to a lot of companies that the the free for individuals model works really well. Right. In some cases, right. I'm not yeah. saying that every company no, I mean, needs to not. adopt this. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but and there are there are definitely cases where it can work and work well. So. Speaking of something working well. Uh, yes. Uh, VR is, it's taking off. It's, it's actually <gasps> The time is now. <laughs> the time is now. It really is this time. Um, and we, we've heard that from a lot of quarters. I mean, uh, Valve has been pretty open about the fact that they can't keep the index in stock, uh, which is pretty amazing for a $1,000 headset. Um, Facebook has said that uh, the Quest 2 is is just doing staggeringly well for them far beyond expectations but we don't get real numbers out of a lot of those things steam we actually get some numbers out of <laughs> and Thank you, steam. Uh, they said that they are seeing a big increase in vr users um who wants to talk about that uh, yeah so I, I looked into this uh they they got a, a couple numbers up out for us uh sadly no one of course is still talking about number of actual individual headsets so right uh however uh steam came out and said that uh over over 2020 they saw 1.7 million new users in in vr as well as over the the, the 2020 year um the vr welcome to the, the dark the, side the Join revenue <laughs> yeah the the revenue on VR applications uh, increased by 71%. And a, a little side note on that is out of that increased revenue, almost 40% of that was Half-Life Alex alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, know, they're working on their next title. That has, been, that has been the title that has finally, I think hardcore gamers have given respect. You know, I mean, always has been like, oh, well, you know, VR is cool, but, you know, nobody makes real games in it. And then I think it was one of those Half-Life Alex, half -like Alex, half -like Alex uh, changed their minds in a lot of cases. So, and very, I'm, very glad to see that driving uptake. For sure. And, and I'm guessing that would technically not include that uh, with every index sold they gave away a, a copy of, of half-life Alex right. with, with the unit. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that doesn't include that. And that's, I don't know. Pr I probably feel like, like a hundred thousand units alone there. I feel like there's some creative business, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff that you could do and, and exercise to make that come off somehow as revenue. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I, I I wouldn't deny it, but I'm I'm guessing they they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. One of it's a great the, game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the other numbers that they came out with is they saw a thirty percent increase in playtime, uh, uh, playtime sessions of of people that increased it to about a average of thirty two minutes per play session. Uh, and, and again, you know, they are kind of vague on these these numbers. So I'm 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 sure this is probably 
you know, multiple times that someone picks up a headset and, and puts it on, you know, right. even, even multiple times a day, they probably have the headset on for at least 32 minutes each time they actually pick up the headset, even if it's multiple times a day. Well, and the other thing you have to consider is like how many experiences actually exist that keep you aside from like social VR, you know, VR chat, right. things like that. How many experiences actually have more than 32 minutes of cumulative content? <laughs> I mean, there's most of them are geared to kind of hit that sweet spot of 30 minutes of average playtime because that's usually what the headset manufacturers recommend out of the box like don't spend too much time in, in vr take rests take breaks um so it's pretty pretty interesting to see it already hitting over 30 minute uh, average playtime no, now with the headsets the the how heavy they are that they're most of them are tethered yeah. They're all hot, you know. Like, there's so many things that can that'll be optimized over the years that we'll definitely see that number grow. It'll be really interesting to see a graph over the next like ten years. Um, I'm hoping that we'll changes. at least get real numbers in retrospect, because uh, I would love to see what those numbers look like over time. But yeah, that's a pretty pretty decent endorsement given the the, the current levels of friction involved in in VR. Um, we're seeing you know similar things coming from Oculus. I know at the the last uh, Connect they were saying. That you know, with the Quest and the Quest Two, they were seeing radically higher uh, retention of people continuing to use it over time and using it for significant blocks of time. And they also, I think, yesterday said that they've now reached what sixty titles that have uh, pulled in over a million dollars. Oh wow! So the the That's... user base is is dramatically expanding. I, this time last year, or I guess I guess right before the Quest Two launch. How many it was like three or four titles that were over a million, and now we're at sixty. So the the uptake is definitely increasing. So I mean, I, I feel like we have reached the point where we need a competitor to the quest. Yes, I oh, agree. Good, goodness, <laughs> yes, I've said that repeatedly, and I believe it with every fiber of my being. <laughs> but I love the Quest Two. It is a phenomenal piece of hardware, but it desperately needs a direct competitor, and there may be one coming in twenty twenty. Two, but we can talk about that a little later in the in that hour here. Um, Magic Leap partnered with Google Cloud. Josh, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So this is a part. I, I guess it's um, you know part the whole five G push and moving stuff to the cloud. It's, um, it's Magic Leap also keeping up on its promise that they're going to change the landscape of everything as we know it. Right, but they're they're pushing themselves into that spatial computing enterprise market, already out of the box, ready for cloud capabilities to, you know, kind of seamlessly go in with maybe pre-existing AI uh, projects or or some kind of implementation that needs that elastic computing capability in in the cloud. Right, um, I think we'll see some interesting things come out of magic leap and their uh push for um this idea of pervasiveness of their hardware i guess i'm not, I'm not sure what the long-term strategy uh is of this other than, i mean it off the cuff it seems kind of like a, a just a pr push but it is a big partnership after magic leap has had some 
some fits and starts with some of the projects they've worked on. So it'll be really interesting to see a very large scale project leverage the massive capability of Google Cloud with um, a full-fledged AR enterprise platform because Magic Leap is focused heavily now on being a business product for enterprise uses. So, Have they talked at all about a second-generation headset at this point? uh, Not that I've seen officially, but that might have flown past my radar, to be honest. Um, In that case, most likely no. (laughs) (laughs) It's... uh, uh, they're a great company. They they have a, just a mass like a mountain of innovator innovators and, and talent uh, a mass there that I really look forward to seeing them leverage in unique ways because I I I think that they're still a, a very big player um, in the arena. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that collaboration. Uh, I know it's early days for AR, but I'm I'm always happy to have more than one major player in this space. I mean, right now. Other than Magic Leap, the only serious player is Microsoft. Of course, they're the 900-pound gorilla. But uh, speaking of Microsoft, uh, they've been doing some cool stuff with uh, with the HoloLens. And uh, I think they just had a, a bit of an event. you want to talk about that, Josh? Yeah, uh, they're about to have an event. I guess, I don't know, at the time of this recording, it might have already had happened. It's, it's going to happen on uh, February 9th. And it's Microsoft France, actually hosting a 24-hour event focused on um, roundtables with doctors and live, and apparently it's going to be live streaming surgery using the HoloLens 2 in the operating theater. So it'll be a a full day's worth of um, different doctors, different areas of the world, and different teams talking about how the HoloLens fits into their workflow, how it augments what they do, in uh surgery how they prep for it and things like that so i believe it's open to the public if people want to go check it out it it, i doubt it's something that you really need to be there for the live stream it'll very probably be available just on youtube or something later on but it is a very cool um push for how hololens works in the day-to-day right like how how it fits into furthering um are different endeavors in the different walks of life. All right. <clears throat> um, Haptex. Uh, I think all three of us got to play with their uh, their dev kit uh, for their uh, tactile gloves back at the uh, Industrial VRAR forum. And they've been kind of the major players on, on haptic gloves for a while. Uh, back then they were talking about an upcoming DK2, and now that is... Uh, becoming a uh, available. Uh, so, I don't. So happy think... I can talk about this. <laughs> yeah, please talk about it. I'm assuming you can't tell us the price, can you? It has a price. So I know it does. The, the, the is the price knowable without <laughs> signing an NDA? It is knowable. <laughs> uh, so the the DK2 gloves are really cool because they they've they've taken the time to like put it through. Uh, like a design engineering process where they have a lot more refined from the, the, the original DK one version, which felt a lot more like, you know, a engineering uh, proof of concept. Yes. Model. Well, this yes. is, 
the DK2 is definitely feels like it's something that you implement in research labs, innovation labs, something like that. National Institute of Standards and Technology would be implementing to, you know, prove out training things and safety things and things like that. So, and it also with it being a backpack, like oh, instead thank of goodness. being tethered to a, uh, you know, a big box as well right. as a computer big box. That, but, that was although, probably my key complaint was that you were on a very short tether to a very big, heavy box on the DK1. Right. It. So it's, it's I wouldn't say it's the lightest backpack um, <laughs> that you can carry, but it isn't, you know, extremely cumbersome or anything. It's, it's just so, like wearing like a, a, a VRPC backpack. Kind got of thing. it. So if you're going to try the, their DK2? I haven't yet, but okay. I will soon. Well, please because report back when you do. Uh, I would we be very... are now partnered with them, so we'll gotcha. be uh, doing some fun things. That would be excellent. No, I I love that they are tackling some of the, the difficult problems. Haptics are absolutely some of the difficult problems, and they've got a lot of cool things in the works. Uh, none of it you know, feels like it is quite where one would want it, but I mean, it. this is like locomotion. It's one of the ones that's going to take a while to crack completely, so... Uh, these sort of incremental steps uh, can, right. can definitely have some some huge applications in, in uh, certain niche areas before it goes to something that's mainstream consumer. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say so. Like a, a not to circle back too much to Dreamland at CES, but Joe Higgins, uh, one of their C level uh, executives over at Haptex, fantastic person, great person to talk to about the industry. He he was on a panel talking about um, the gloves and saying that, you know, whereas a lot of companies are trying to stair step into the industry or they're trying to solve a lot of problems all at once, they made the very focused decision to solve one of the hardest problems in the most in-depth way possible, right? Like they right. wanted to make the best possible gloves you could potentially imagine for immersive realities and i i gotta say since since their dk1 they they've nailed it right as for that time in the industry for the amount of r&d that is available to them they've made the best damn uh possible gloves that you could put your hands into they're clearly uh, ambitious i mean they're they're not just goofing around uh <laughs> uh i mean these these are still very much kind of high-end industrial things, but um, right. you're, I, you're I only... hope it will trickle down to the rest of us as it refines and improves. Exactly. I mean, it's the same concept of the technologies that were invented by the different contractors for NASA, right? Like right. The, the technologies are bespoke and they serve a certain purpose, but they have to be done to beyond imaginable spec of accuracy or tolerances or, or what have you. And that's kind of what Haptex is, is following in, right? They're they're the forerunners of these this concept of beyond your skin's capability of recognition of the of how the different press different pressure sensitivities and how many points of input your your skin can actually detect at once, right? And they they build beyond that, right? So I, I will I definitely see the form factor getting smaller and cheaper and and more prolific as the years go on. Here's hoping. Do you know if he was with Haptics before it was Haptics when it was still Axon? Uh, I don't know. Okay. To be honest. 
but either way kind of the 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 point that i'm trying to allude to is uh you, you mentioned that you know they're trying to come in and solve basically one of the the big problems without stair-stepping just getting straight to it haptics it was axon before it was haptics mm -hmm. and their big thing that they were kind of known for that they were kind of st starting to work on was the full-on like vr exoskeleton suit right. on the end of a robot arm I, I'm sure that's that's still their their end goal, but you know, as as of right now, by by tackling the the gloves, it's it's a huge huge part of that 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 puzzle. It it's Absolutely. definitely coming from a a company that is is obviously really really pushing, you know, to make leaps instead of steps. I like that. All respect for. For companies taking the hard problems, as I've always said, and they are 100% doing that, and they're going all in on it. So, uh, HTC is talking about all in two. <laughs> We've had all in one headsets. We've got you know the Quest and the the Vive Focus. All in two is is definitely a uh, a phrase you have not heard often in VR, although it's explain a it to us. Been around. Well, I mean, the idea is to have something that can potentially tethered to a, a secondary portable device like a phone. I think is, is the basic idea is you can be running, you know, independently or, you know, attached to, uh, it allows them to offload the CPU and the GPU onto these high-end phones. You kind of see the concept with like the Magic Leap, actually, because they've got a separate computing puck that's, that's tethered to the headset. But I, I think HTC's direction is more of a phone tethered one, right? Yes. Yes, okay. I think that's, that's what they're, they're talking about leveraging either smartphones or some kind of a 5g home pod kind of device gotcha uh, it's, it's an interesting concept i mean gear vr made me cautious <laughs> about right. using phones as the the backbone for vr because you don't control the entire hardware and software ecosystem and so and vr is so sensitive to latency and interrupts and so forth whereas phones are very much designed for a million things to be happening at once and taking priority over each other plus phones are also not really designed to be running at their full max spec all the time they overheat uh they have to you dial know, down I'd, I'd really be interested to see samsung come out with a all-in-two solution rather than a, a a gear vr where you slot the, the smartphone into it yeah a headset that had its own cpu and and onboard storage and stuff right but then that that was like a you know four core sipping power kind of thing right for menial tasks or you know a day-to-day -day operation kind of uh you know office like virtual desktop kind of things mm -hmm. versus um like when you wanted to play a game or something you needed to use a, a smartphone Right. To ramp up power. I mean, in theory, it's a fabulous idea because we're all walking around with these extremely expensive high-end computers in our pocket, and so it seems silly not to, to make use of it. As a practical matter, I am um, cautious, as I said. <laughs> um, I would love to see something amazing happen in that space, and I'm all about people trying all these different paradigms, but um, it is, is probably not a direction that I am as optimistic will pan out as I wish I were. Well, I think if we do some really crazy prognostication here and 
try to look into the future of tech, we can see all the chips getting smaller, more heat efficient, more battery efficient, more po- or power efficient, I should say. And so eventually we're going to need to like narrow down how many devices are going to actually have to have all that processing power, right? Like you, you don't really need to have that powerful chip in every single device if you could share that power that processing power with the devices around you so maybe we end up having a smartphone that's kind of like a key to our technology in our space where you have blank panels you know a tv panel on the wall and you just share your phone and it becomes the processor and driver of everything on your home theater we've we've seen a few attempts at this in in different ways i'm trying to remember the name of the the smartphone and dock, but there was a smartphone that you could actually snap into a dock that hooked up to a, a, a computer a monitor, Samsung. keyboard, mouse. Was it Samsung? Yeah, Samsung, yeah, Samsung Dex. There you go, Dex. Yeah, yeah. which was a, a very cool concept because, yeah, your your phone's uh, processor is you know easily as powerful as like a Chromebook and but, could be doing all sorts of things. So, so my daughter got a... a a MacBook Air for Christmas, and my fiance got an iPad. They both have the same chip in them, the M1 Apple chip. So the iPad, the tablet, has the same processor as the the laptop. I mean, they're, these chips and the the, the MacBook Air, it, it, the M1 is so power efficient, apparently, that it doesn't even need a fan. I guess it's a, a kind of a binge chip. It's a, it's a little bit underclocked, but... Still, my point is, is that we're at that point where the technology is so efficient that it it does absolutely make sense. Why wouldn't you tap into a pervasive workhorse that's literally in 99% of people's pockets that are interested in immersive tech, right? I understand not everybody has a smartphone, or at least not, not everybody has a powerful smartphone, but... Generally speaking, the people that are into immersive technology have some kind of a at least moderately recent device with them sometimes, right? The close cousin I've seen to this that that gets a lot of lip service in the phone industry and that I'm also extremely cautious about, even though it is a very clever idea, is doing uh, all of your heavy lifting at a a central server farm and uh, pushing the frames over 5G. Google Stadia? So Basically, <laughs> yeah, uh, the same idea, but uh, with the demanding low high frame rate and low latency of VR tacked onto that already slightly dodgy framework, you can correct for some of that with reprojection and then so forth, time warp, space warp, all that sort of thing. But holy smokes, would you have to be pushing a lot of data very reliably, very low latency to potentially many people per 5G cell, which sounds like a heavy lift to me. But I I do love the idea of, you know, slim this sucker down to almost nothing and let heavy machines at a central server farm do all the the computation. Well, you know, China launched a 6G test satellite in 2020. (laughs) So it's coming. 95 gigabit data connections. Well, right we'll see. All right. Let's hit the, our major topics. We're going to hit one in depth and one just kind of brush <laughs> on and, and go back to it more later when we have more information. Uh, Facebook is it's talking a good game about its values. And it's, it's interesting. And there's, there's things that they are doing that potentially align with the things they're saying. 
And there are there's the history of Facebook, which makes us all extremely cautious, I think, about these claims. John Carmack has said that the Facebook login is not going to go away, despite some of the pain that it has inflicted. But he said in a statement that honestly coming from anyone other than John Carmack would have been laughed out of the uh, the news sphere. He said Very Facebook is so. extremely serious about privacy. I love John Carmack and I respect John Carmack, but um, how uh, how much stock do we put in that particular claim? Uh, you know, there are things that John Carmack says through a post and there are things that John Carmack says when he's talking in person. I think he has to say certain things because of his relationship with um, Oculus. It, I, I definitely agree with you, Eric, in in the statement that Facebook talks a good game. It's 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 whether or not they will show it in practice, whether Absolutely. or not they can prove it out and put it front and center and put it on stage and say look look at what we're doing to protect your rights look what we're doing to protect your privacy the first we're, time i see them take a hit do you know lose potential revenue lose potential capabilities because respecting our privacy was more important i will start giving more credence to the claim sure but it's it's very easy to say that right up until the moment that you need more data than someone's willing to give you in order to do what you want um thing I is, like, though, I, I think I think that's happening though. And and yeah. that's that's been happening recently because of think of all the 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 limelight that they've been in recently with Zuckerberg testifying at hearings between, you know, private cases as well as with the government. As of right now, we're, we're, it's still up in the air of if um headsets are being sold in germany right uh you know that's that's revenue that they're maybe not necessarily losing but they're not gaining and they are being fined you know here and there to the tunes of millions of dollars for this that and the other they they are i mean so the if i'm if i put my cynical hat on which is the hat i usually do wear when dealing with facebook <laughs> um I would say that specifically because they are under so much government scrutiny and, and there's so much potential for like trust busting and government regulations that they wouldn't like, that they 100% have to talk an incredibly good game right now. It's the only thing stopping people from picking up pitchforks and torches and, and coming after them and demanding that they, they bust them up. Agreed. Um but whether that means anything or whether they're just trying to get enough of a foothold in the ecosystem that it's unimaginable to, to you know, damage them at that point. Um, I mean, it'd be like, you know, breaking up Microsoft at the height of Windows. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like Andrew Bosworth. Boz. Um, he is a very human center to the, the Oculus portion of Facebook. And whenever he gets out on stage and talks at, at Connect... Um, I like all the things he's saying, <laughs> uh, about being very human centered and human focused and, and working backwards from what people want and need versus working forwards from, you know, their, their assumptions. And he has doubled down on that recently with, you know, a discussion saying that they're going to start with the assumption that they cannot collect, use, or store any data 
And then the burden is then on them to demonstrate why they are required to have that data for the product to work. And he said that he wanted to differentiate their products on the basis of privacy. I would argue that Facebook's products are already differentiated on the basis of privacy, but not probably in the way he meant there. I don't know. I mean, it's some of the things he's saying are absolutely the right things, but Facebook has a history. (laughs) That they do. So I'm, um, I'm cautious, but there are even a few concrete signs that they are maybe, maybe actually leaning in a more open customer friendly direction. I say, as they shut people down for not having entirely up to snuff Facebook accounts when they log in, they are, uh, going to start allowing unlisted apps to be distributed uh, through their platform, which takes it kind of out of the walled garden. Uh, I mean, it already had that capability on the desktop, but it really did not on the Quest. You had to set it up for side loading and set up side quest and then copy stuff on. They're, they're trying to actually simplify that process and make it easier for independent developers that are doing something a little more experimental or a little more niche that doesn't quite fit in the store to just get stuff out there. Yeah. Um, so, so that's real quick, positive. Real quick, I just want to give the the excerpt that's floating around about what Bosworth said. Sure. So he said, starting in January, we are charging are changing the way we approach product development in Facebook Reality Labs. Instead of imagining a product and trimming it down to fit modern standards of data privacy and security, we're going to invert our process. We will start with the assumption that we can't collect use or store any data the burden is on us to demonstrate why certain data is truly required for the product to work even then i want us to scope it as aggressively as we can holding a higher bar for sending data to the server than we do for processing it locally i have no problem with us giving users options to share more if they choose to opt in but by default we shouldn't expect it and for that message to come out from someone like Bosworth, who is, you know, your boss's boss's boss, um, right. is important. Even if it's, it might feel as lip service to us, it's important for that message to be broadcast uh, internally to the people that work there. Because, you know, when you're you're working day to day on these things and you, you feel like you're moving the needle in the industry and you're doing the good research and the inventing the new things that the industry needs, it it is important to hear that kind of beacon that says, you know, the, the kind of do no evil ethos that the tech industry was supposed to be following. Right. No, I mean, that it's weird because a lot of what he's saying aligns really closely with some stuff I've been advocating for a while, which is that, you know, whenever we talk about biometric data, I get up on my soapbox on this and I say, your biometric data should belong to you. It should only be, you know, licensed to these people for exactly what they need it to to be used for and it should go no further than it needs to i mean if it only goes to the headset that's ideal if it has to go to a pc or a central thing how long does it live is it anonymized you know what what protections do we have on this and they're all complicated questions but i mean it actually looks like they're looking at it through that lens i hope they can hang on to that i hope they can make that work for them i hope they legitimately believe it if they do it will be a much better industry down the line uh, and I will have to take back some of the uh, slightly unkind things I've said about Facebook's handling of some of this. Well, you know, it's, it, but I don't think the things that you have said over the past are necessarily untrue. Exactly. But let's let's just hope that they are the growing pains 
of a burgeoning industry and not the uh, precursor of what's to come. Here's hoping. All right. right. And then uh, also uh, something else on that that to me kind of, again, shows that step. uh, Eric, you mentioned that they're going to start allowing basically like side quest type stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and they've they've got these people out here saying 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 these things is they've also come out and said that in February they are going to start uh multiple user account support yes. on headsets, which people have been rallying behind as well as you know, from a point of it kind of shows good faith as as well as it's something that they've been worried about because they don't want to get banned they don't you know they, right. pe- people have been worried about okay well say i give my my headset to my friend for a, a while and you know they go out and do something dumb and then i get my whole account <laughs> my account suspended <laughs> for what my friend decided to do you know not not really knowing that this was going to happen or you should have bought him his own headset. (laughs) If you were a good friend, of of course that's what they want you to do. But, 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 you know, again, kind of harking back a little bit to apps or the, the, the companies getting that software out for free to, to users, you know, a, a lot of the sales, we're going to see are people who try out a friend's or family member's headset before they go and get one. Right. So that's going to make it that much easier to, and and less of a burden to get it out there onto people's heads, in which case they'll go buy their own. Right. So no, it's, it's just it's just been something that that people have really been worried about and and asking for, and it's it's definitely a step in the right direction. It is, and I'm happy to see that. I mean, it's it's something I've complained about with a number of companies, Apple particularly, not making, for example, their iPads multi-user devices. Really digging in their heels about that for a very long time. Uh, because they really want every person in the house to buy one. And that's just maddening. And so seeing them, seeing Facebook move away from that with the VR headset saying, nah, seriously, this can be something that you can pass around between multiple people and they can each have their own accounts and they can each have their own stuff. It is a more consumer focused and consumer friendly position to take. So, I mean, as I said, there are, there are hints that maybe they really actually are, you know, changing their tune a little bit. And if so... I, I will that. have you know, Eric, that Apple has a patent on of course they provisioning do. of domains and secure enclaves to support multiple users. Okay, <laughs> so obviously they're thinking about it. Maybe <laughs> when you just might have to buy six new iPads. Right. <laughs> oh, and 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 another little part of that, of course, is business, because businesses are going to need multiple people. You know to to use a headset or have that like like a a big account for people to to log into and get on a device that the business owns so i'm sure that is going to lift a big burden off of businesses as well 
it's it's unclear to me how all that's going to intersect with Oculus for Business. Oculus for Business has always been kind of this odd platypus sitting in the corner at best. Hey, don't give platypus a bet. Okay. <laughs> I am getting They're a super cool. lot of firsthand experience with Oculus for Business. It's great. And you love it. Just have to see how that progresses over time. <laughs> it's not where it needs to be yet. <laughs> But at least it is far more real than it has been in past years. That they are actually doing something. So, hey, at least in 2021, you can finally say, "Oh my gosh, it's a real thing." Yes, yes, I actually actually have an Oculus for Business headset. So you know, we'll see. The um, blasphemer. Speaking of Apple. Speaking of Apple. Yes. Um, everybody is speaking of apple everyone but... is speaking of apple for for many reasons <laughs> and one of the many reasons is that there you know there there've been hints very very strong hints that apple's been working on uh ar for a very long time now and that their focus was heavily ar for a very long time now there were far fewer hints that they were going to move seriously into the vr space they didn't seem to believe in it as a, a product they wanted to land on. They kind of wanted to bypass it and land directly on AR. That appears like it may be changing. We are seeing some potentially reliable information coming out that they are working hard on a standalone VR headset to be released next year with some fairly high-end specs on the chip. And while Apple is, again, not exactly an open openness uh, advocate or, or, you know, one of the... The companies I laud in that direction. At least it would be competition for the Quest. And it would be competition for the Quest from a heavy enough hitter that they really could put a dent in their market share. How's everybody feeling about Apple maybe moving into the VR marketplace? Okay, so real quick, I have two things. First, on the the rumor mill, um, this is really reminiscent of the rumor mill leading up to the iPhone, at least in my personal experience with the news cycle here it, you know there was a lot of hints along the way about oh they're teasing maybe using this or maybe working on that but there is so many quote-unquote leaks about their ar project right. that it's you know it's happening yeah right um so it, I'm, I'm really interested that and apparently an apple car that'll be interesting too <laughs> but the the other thing is that it, when you think about the xr industry as a whole uh, it really just, it seems like in the R&D process, not me coming from a, a perspective of not being a hardware manufacturer, it seems like in the hardware process, making a VR headset is a quicker time to market than it is of making a Apple level polished augmented reality headset. Oh, without if question. If that makes sense. Absolutely so without question. It, in my mind it makes perfect sense that they would be releasing a VR mark, a VR ish, maybe even a, like a VR light right. headset to kind of test that hardware market. And they, you know, Apple does that um, pretty, pretty regularly. It seems like now uh, where they release a product that has some quirks to it. Some, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a niche product, kind of like the, the Apple watch, right? It was originally right. tethered to your phone, had to use processing of power off your phone and had some really interesting bits about it. But when you look at the landscape of what all of Apple has been working on, even specifically the watch, right? Like it's a remote device that is 
a, a very small screen with a, a very strict power management requirements that has to have certain processing capabilities it would seem like they're perfectly aligned to make this kind of um, equipment and they've definitely not been um, known for being a race to the first to market with no. a device no i mean apple's model has always been arrive late but arrive very polished and cool looking and right. then say you were the first not, to do it right <laughs> right exactly not the first to do it but the first to do it right and yeah. i i respect that yeah I'm, I'm more or less okay with that and uh you know i, I think i suspect what we're seeing here is they they were there, there's no question that ar is the big prize for them and i don't think they're wrong i think you know really fantastic AR will change the world in ways far beyond what VR will ever do. But it's such an incredibly heavy lift to get from here to there uh, and do it well that it could be a few years. And I, I think that you're absolutely right. VR would be a perfect stepping stone. I think until the Quest or maybe the Quest 2 came out, I don't think they were that convinced that there was a market there for it. Well, and we're also never going to hit a time where we have augmented reality but not virtual reality right right vr will always be a part of the spectrum so regardless of what kind of ar device they try to make or do end up making there are lessons to be learned very valuable lessons to be learned with releasing a vr hardware absolutely 100 percent. no i mean there's so many things that a a good set of augmented reality glasses need that a standalone VR headset absolutely has to master. And so it gives them a chance to get that out, get it tested, get their own version of this tech polished and up to the the level it needs to be. And also it allows them to do what they love to do best, which is release a new product every year. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I am excited to see what they come out with. Um, hey, they hit over 100 billion dollars in sales like that's (laughs) freaking nuts okay they they clearly know how to make a product that works that people buy (laughs) absolutely Uh, my only question is am i gonna have to develop for it on a mac because that's been uh, a a barrier for me developing on any of the the ios devices so i guess we'll have to to buy a mac i don't really (laughs) want to buy a mac (laughs) Although it's funny, Microsoft, I think like Microsoft developer Twitter or something like that, put out a, a tweet that said, tell us you're a developer without tell us, tell us, telling us that you're a developer. And one of the top responses was, I'm running Linux. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty solid. All right. I, I, I think we're, we're all pretty much in, in agreement on, on it. Uh, I, I think a, a few few points to to pull out of that is we've said for a long time that at the VR meetups and and everything we all pretty much see that AR as a whole is basically where the market is going to end up in at the end that you know eventually when AR gets to that point where it's it's good then it'll basically kind of push a VR out because it'll be able to do everything that VR can do, you know, plus it being able to do AR. Right. 
as well as we've also talked about is like okay so so why do we see so much development on vr and not as much as ar because it's that much more difficult to get hardware and software done and done well for ar than it is vr absolutely uh, right know, things are very much more structured for vr so i i think that what apple is doing with all this is basically again like y'all were hinting at is i i also i also think of what microsoft did and the windows mixed reality basically what windows mixed reality was is a cheap solution to develop for the hololens yeah like that yeah. that's that's really what it was for like right you know and because and microsoft themselves didn't actually make any of the headsets right it was they they just gave all the other companies you know the specs that they needed to be at and that i can think of it was basically the first headset first vr headset that had ar capabilities and again right specifically so that it could be used to develop for the hololens because the hololens was what at that time you were looking at i think five thousand dollars for for a hololens when it had three okay I, I thought it might have been five thousand when it first it's came expensive. out, and then and then it dropped to three a little bit after that. But but yeah, that's you know that that's crazy again to possibly try and develop for you know paying three thousand dollars for the headset and not sure if what you want to do is really possible or or anything like that. So I I think that Apple's VR headset is really just a way to prepare and get data for their yeah. AR systems. I'm sorry. You're you're right, Kevin. It was $3,000 for developers and $5,000 for commercial use. Okay. Well, yeah, we're both right. So <laughs> But yeah, I I completely agree with what you're saying. Um it's you know the the AR hardware it's just a harder problem to solve, especially at this current juncture, even with a Apple making their own silicon and their own solutions. I think to get to the point where Apple feels like it's Apple worthy, how many times can I say the word Apple in one conversation? <laughs> it, it's going it, to, the, the market needs to mature some more. It needs to get a, a little bit more sturdy under the legs of very slim line, power sipping, uh, efficient platforms for augmented reality like glasses that look like glasses right yeah um and let's just i mean to be brutally honest vr puts out some sexy solutions whereas augmented reality is like you have a text message um you have an email that came in you know there's there's some cool things you can do with ar that's irrefutable but i think when people think about immersive realities the first that comes to mind is virtual reality. And within that, the first that comes to mind is some kind of entertainment of some sort. Um, and there's a lot more uh, wow factor to putting on, uh, I think, an Apple VR headset. Yeah. yeah at the moment. Right. At the current yeah. junc juncture in 
January 27th, 2021. <laughs> Let me please put that out there. So help me tomorrow. Like, right. the world's best AR. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there are some some absolutely incredible things that would be possible in AR long term. But right now, yes, uh, for the wow factor and bang for your buck, VR is, is absolutely the way to go. And I love the direction Kevin went with that is, you know, this is a, you know, you're sort of your cheap dev kit for the Apple AR glasses. Do you think that they will lean more aggressively into pass through to facilitate that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I hope so. Cause that, that gray area with pass through VR or pass through AR uh, is one that I find very, very exciting. It's, it means that we can actually play with what AR will look like once they solve all of the hard physics problems of uh, optics you know, and weight and power and so forth. You know, a lot of this is under wraps, right? A lot of what Apple is doing is under wraps. But if you, like, again, if you look at what they're currently doing, they have a platform of different devices that all work together in ecosystem. Right. They have a proliferation of different sensors, uh, different ways of tracking facial recognition of, of facial movement. In some ways, it's body tracking. Uh, LiDAR sensors now on, on a lot of devices coming out. So they all the pieces are in place to just bundle it together and make this, plat, this uh, XR device. So it's just, it makes perfect sense for this stair step to, to happen. And I would be very surprised if this isn't how it played out. Well, but, I mean, you know... I'm excited to see what develops. Apple is the market master at making things look socially acceptable and and feel really good, which are are both things that the market needs very badly right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. looking forward to seeing what comes of that. And if it means that Oculus has a real competitor, that's absolutely even better. Do I wish it was a competitor that was a little more oriented towards openness? Of course, but I will happily take Apple being the second one to throw their hat in the ring, you know, because they've got the power, the hardware connections, the software connections, and the incredible staggering amounts of capital to really compete even after the Quest 2 is well established. Look, their their main competitors of as far as aesthetic are the HoloLens and the Magic Leap. <laughs> well, yeah, on the AR side, I love yes. both of them. It's not a high I bar. I love both of them. I mean, I am not I am not a, a person who worries much about what he looks like in VR, but I would hesitate to walk around in public with a HoloLens on. So, you know, <laughs> but all right. Well, we will, I'm sure, revisit the Apple VR question more as more information leaks out publicly. Um, we're, we're working almost on pure speculation at this point. So, but that is huge, huge news with potentially huge, huge implications. So... Until next time, thank you guys for joining us. Stay safe, do cool things in VR and AR, and tell us about them. Yes, please, tell us all about it. And if you have requests on things you want to see covered or topics you want deep dives, reach out to us. What kind of avatars you would like to see Kevin posing as in VR <laughs> chat? Well, I, I usually run around as a stormtrooper, so. Shocked, shocked, I say. <laughs> yeah, really. But what about a stormtrooper with Pikachu as a head? Oh. Let's do some crossovers. Come on. <laughs> I think I've seen uh, one where he pulls off his helmet and it's a Uganda Knuckles oh, head <laughs> underneath the helmet. Of course. God. Of course. On that note. <laughs> only, OG, only OGs would know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, 
everybody take care and uh, we'll see you next time arrivederci all right see you everyone thank you so much for listening to this episode of virtually relevant if you liked it please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find if you'd like to support houston vr and this podcast please consider becoming a patreon member at patreon.com slash houston vr until next time thanks for listening